Ciao. Ciao. What's up on her neck? She's been strangled. Looks like a tie. Yes, it's a tie, all right. Another necktie murder. Lovely. 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 Barbara, I swear I'm telling the truth. Now, do I look like a sex murderer to you? Can you imagine me creeping around London, strangling all those women with ties? That's ridiculous. For a start, I only own two. Well, it's true. Jackie was a bit smelly. I suppose if you had known about the money, you wouldn't have stayed with a lot of old men like that. Then you believe me? Thousands more men. Ciao, ciao, everybody. How's it going? Hey, now. Here we go. This is Jalo Chow Chow, episode number 24, the episode before the clip show episode. <laughs> and this is the episode where Fonzie straps on the water skis. That's right. <laughs> wow, we're getting that already, huh? And that's all I got. Yeah. Right. Welcome, everyone. (laughs) In case you aren't aware of it, I surprised the intro on Chris and Eric. So they're probably speechless at the moment. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Surprise is good. We were talking about about Honey Boo Boo and wrestling. We were really deep in Honey Boo Boo. We were were two of the same things, basically. And uh, then all of a sudden, Creep just said, Chow Chow, everyone. And uh, we rolled right into it, like professionals that we are. Well, I'm just yeah, I'm trying sorry. to cause a frenzy here tonight. Whoa! Oh. Still trying to get this necktie off of me so I can get ready for the show. Sticking my tongue out. <laughs> I don't know why that guy kept pulling on it. It was like choking me, and he wasn't understanding. <laughs> And then you just I, got I tired just have, and you left. 
I just have to say that that is probably one of the most disturbing still images in a movie because I don't know whether it's funny or terrifying or horrifying. Then, like I can't. Then you just went and plopped it up on your website. I'm gonna plop into that. See, I the did. thing is, I don't know if that's le- like legit. Is that like what somebody does when they are strangled? Their tongue decides to kind of do its own thing and says, "Fuck well, that's I, what I thought. I'm doing my own thing." I I thought it was odd, but then you have to think that Hitchcock kind of knows what he's doing. So if you look at the picture, the tie is still tied really tight. It's not like I, he strangled her and then released the tie. And then maybe like, you know, all the muscles that went into spasm kind of relaxed before she totally died, right? No, so it's a snuff film. She she died. She really died. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Wait. for sure. Wow, Hitchcock. Yeah. Wow. He, he, he doesn't take shit from actors. Huh. That's true. That part's true. I heard about that. Yeah. I think when I was like six years old, that's the face I made when I you know would play dead, and so that's what I right. thought when I saw it. I'm like, this is kind of. Well, then later in the movie, there was a less over-the-top version of that. Right. That looked a little more realistic. I feel like when you're dead, your tongue shouldn't be completely sideways. Shouldn't it just be kind of hanging out, like, forward? Well, if there was, like, a like gravity thing going on... Yeah, if what? there was, like, some gravity, I could see it. But she was on her back. Yeah. Well, she wasn't. Her, her head was propped up. But still, okay. like... That takes her some effort. Was, like, her yeah. tongue was falling down. Like, if you looked at the very last one that was underneath the sheet, her tongue was just a big bulbous thing just popped up. Yeah. How come they all had tongues sticking out, though? I mean, I wonder if... Uh, uh, we should start strangling what, people and see what happens. <laughs> Let's do an experiment. Uh, Eric, you handle the control group. Hey, I'm already doing my auto-asphyxiation, so... Uh, I can I can give you I can give you some control. What was the what was the the killer's name, uh, character's name again? I forget. Rusk. Rusk. Oh, by so the way, up. spoilers, everybody. We jumped sure. right. We jumped right into it. Spoilers. <laughs> That's true. If you do, it's a spoiler unless you get like ten minutes into it. Or if you go right. to Wikipedia. Or if you go to Wikipedia. Who does that? Maybe that's maybe that's just his thing. He likes he likes to strangle them until their tongues stick out. I don't know. Goes, anyway, but I mean, lovely, looking lovely. at the picture, I'm, I'm choking my, myself right now, and my tongue's just kind of hanging out, you know, like front. Her, looks like hers is kind of contracted, like she's contracting the muscle in her tongue and, and purposely sticking it to the side. Anyway, we're getting. Yeah. And her eyes aren't nearly as bloodshot as most of the people I strangle. Right? What? Well, yeah. yeah. I call it bullshit. On the strangulation in this film. Bullshit, Hitchcock. I, I think that yeah. I mean, yeah, I sure. think that if, if if this particular strangulation picture was done by some hack director, everybody would have been like, "Oh, that's so fake looking." But because it's Hitchcock, we have to try to make apologies for it somehow. Not. You're not. Eric's no. not. I'd like to have a sit down discussion with him. Oh, he, he would make you fucking want to wish you were not born dude <laughs> i can believe it there's this reading I, some tri- of the notes on this movie uh, what do you mean notes like trivia stuff and stuff just like yeah like some the ways that he would react to like uh the, com- the original composer that they had oh, okay. or uh 
the the union representatives that tried to shut him down That's right awesome. at like six o'clock. <laughs> take this picture back to Hollywood. I'm going to take. Okay, I'm Sean Connery. Okay, um, so we'll get into all of that fun yummies in just a little bit, folks. Hold what a nice little preview. Yeah. Just Isn't that great. Sit back, little babies. We're gonna take care of you all night long. <laughs> we, we, we all just kind of admitted that we like to strangle people. So. Well, if it makes anyone feel any better, my dog does not make that face at all when I strangle my dog. Oh. Eyes are a little... Human's one thing, but dog... It's just cool. Usually when my dog is strangling, it's because I'm walking her, and she's trying to walk faster than me, and strangling herself and choking, and her eyes are, like, popping out of her head. So London is terrorized by a vicious sex killer known as the Necktie Murderer. Following the brutal slaying of his ex-wife, down on his luck, Richard Blaney is suspected by the police of being the killer. He goes on the run, determined to prove his innocence. Now right off the bat, that reads like any Jalo, whatever. Yep, definitely. Yes. So we will talk about this film um, tonight on the show, but there are two questions that are burning inside of me that we will debate, damn it, whether you guys want to or not. And the debate questions are thus. How did Hitchcock's imitators inspire him to make this film and how did this film inspire his imitators directly after its release those are the questions that i want to tackle this is like a college course i wasn't ready for this i have to write a term paper no a discussion has nothing to do with one writing a paper but <laughs> I, I think it'll be it seems a, like it's going to involve a lot of thinking brain work yeah it could kind of late for that or it could not <laughs> well see that's why you guys fucked up because i have my double shot and my pike's place roast and you're um oh. on freaking west coast time so oh let me tell you something mr man no i am <laughs> Coast time. Yeah. That, that is actually quite legit. But the funny thing is, um, I was looking up this film, uh, again, was inspired by the book called Goodbye, Piccadilly, Farewell, Leicester Square. And I hope that's how you say that. Um, <clears throat> the plot of the book, like, right? It's like the first thing on Wikipedia. The novel and the film tell the story of Bob Rusk, a serial killer in London who rapes and strangles women. women. Because of circumstantial, circumstantial evidence, however, the police come to suspect Rusk's friend, Richard Blaney, in the film, and Richard Blaney in the book. So, um, yeah, it's quite funny that if you never saw this and were looking up info on it, um, it really kills everything for you there but anyway good time so the book was written in 66 the film was shot in the summer of 71 i believe and released in 72 
And there, there we are. There Stage we are. is set. Stage is set. So, for those of you so, who don't know, so Chris, Chris, do you want to cover the the film first and then get into the discussion, or do the discussion first? Let Let me give a quick blow of the film here. Okay. Wait. Oh boy. Okay. Oh boy. So the film takes place in London, um, and most of it takes place in this cool little farmer's market area, like the, the veggie district, we'll call it. And there in the veggie district, um, some guy who wishes he could be the German brawn from uh, Cat of Ninetales, uh, a Mr. Bob Rusk, he um, kind of, I think, runs a cabbage dispensary or some fucking shit. He's got a warehouse and there's motherfuckers with veggies and stuff. And his buddy is a down on his luck dude named Blaney. So we have Rusk and Blaney. Um, Blaney is a guy who um, was married to a woman for a long time. They got divorced and to add insult to injury, she opened a matchmaking service because she <laughs> apparently really knows how to pick them. And um, <laughs> Blaney is not doing well, whereas his wife or his ex-wife is doing great. She's not pretty. Then he's dating another girl whose name That's is Babs. She is also not pretty. Which <laughs> um, <laughs> One is which one is more not pretty? Do you think? I don't know Babs because Babs had that cool orange getup on. Yeah, I was a like, fan of Babs. There's, I, I give credit to looking cool, you know. But yeah. well, I think the, the hottest girl in the whole movie is the secretary, right? Good fucking god, are you serious? I swear to everyone here that if this town, London, they said <laughs> we are going town. to blow up your town. Unless you bring us a beautiful woman, they would all have to just go, shit, we're fucked. <laughs> Everyone kind of crawl under a table and put your hand on the back of your neck. Like, it, it's, uh... Wait, you know what? No, there was a corpse at the end of the movie that wasn't bad. Wait, wasn't wasn't there a scene where two guys are talking about the, uh, the, the strangle killings and a couple of really hot chicks, like, walk in the bar and, like, bump past them? They're like totally extras. They don't say a word. They're just in. They're in the. They're in the frame for maybe yeah. a second. Well, and then the girl who washed up on the shore at the beginning of the movie with the Hawaiian tropic tan on her butt. Uh, right. She looked good face down in the water. This is the worst show ever. <laughs> <laughs> Hard not to look good face down in the water. Yeah. Some of them Super are kind of okay until they open their mouths, too. So there's that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's um, another thing that we could talk about in a little bit. So anyway, long story Sorry. short, Blaney goes and yells at his ex-wife because he has nothing better to do than to look really bitchin' in a tweed fucking coat with uh, leather patches leather. on his shoulders. Very smooth. The other thing about this is that um, Blaney gets fatter as the movie goes. I don't know if you guys noticed this, yes. but he, he just looks like he probably distress. didn't eat the whole time before shooting, and then they probably <laughs> had bitch and craft service, and they were like serving like ribs and lobster and shit, 
and he was like, man, this is some good fucking food. And he was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, I've never, I'm trying to think of a movie, but I can't think of a movie where the main character's body just starts swelling up as the movie's going. But aren't, wasn't that like Raging Bull or something? Aren't movies shot out of sequence? Sometimes. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Hitchcock liked to shoot in sequence. Oh, of course. Of course he would have. Just to make things fucking more difficult. Which, sure. you know, could be completely a lie. But I, I'm almost positive I heard that. Okay, well, it, makes so it, anyway. it makes it easier for him, right? Is the idea and makes it more That's difficult for everybody else. else. Yeah. Right. Like three times, as, three times as expensive too, right? Probably. That's what Ted White told me. That's what Ted White told you? Yeah. Because Ted okay, was everything. Did you go to Crypticon? <laughs> yeah. Did you? Yeah. I met Jason Part 4, the final chapter. Nice. And he told me that no film has ever been shot out of sequence. Or, I mean, in order. That's bullshit. They're all shot out of sequence. That is bullshit. I don't know. <laughs> bullshit. I, yeah, I'm not going to be the one to correct Jason, okay? Yeah. Never really. Motherfucker Especially does that for a reason. <gasps> oh shit! Ooh. Sorry, sorry, Ted White. Um, and he's like that, 88. He has that, like that old man memory, where you know, and that bastard uh, walnut. That bastard Tom Atkins was there, huh? Eric, at first yeah. I thought you said Ted Knight, and I was thinking about Caddyshack, but <laughs> you would have said totally. that too. Oh, that's Bobby Knight. Fuck, I'm getting super confused over here. Um. I don't know if you guys... This is completely off-topic. Um, do you guys watch Parks and Recreation? I don't. It takes no. place in Pawnee, Indiana, and there was a cover band called the um, the Bobby Knight Rangers, and it was three people dressed up like Bobby <laughs> Knight, and they just played Night Ranger songs. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. Okay. So anyway, yeah, Tom Atkins was there too, I heard, and um, I have beef with that guy. Never. Yeah, I told him. Did you tell him Creep said to suck a dick? Mm-hmm. <sighs> he cried. He should. He should. All right, so uh, moving right along. Um, <laughs> so Blaney's, like, yelling at his ex-wife for some reason, and um, Chris's girlfriend, the secretary who's all mousy she's like freaking out and they actually shot this really cool like where there's like a obscured window in between the two offices and whenever like he would get mad or something you would see her image the secretary's image in the other room like kind of stop and turn it was like a really neat thing but anyway so they argued and then he left okay do to do to do then rusk shows up and rusk is like Hey, and she's like, motherfucker, your name is Robertson or something, and we told you we can't help you because you're a weirdo pervert. And he's like, no, I'm going through your files, and I just want you. And she's like, say what? And he's like, guess what? I'm going to just get on top of you right now. And she faints. And then he's like, lovely, lovely. And he starts just giving <laughs> it to her. It's really gross. Lovely. Yeah. And... um. Then she's like, hey, don't run my dress. I'll let you do it. Just t take it. Yeah, give, okay, I'm good with this. And then as soon as he starts taking off his tie, she's like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> she realized. It's too late for her. It's too late because there's been a series of necktie murders going on. So then she starts screaming. 
Um, after... Never should have joined Christian Mingle. Nope. It's That's a very happens. dangerous thing. So Rusk sneaks out, and um, uh, Blaney with his cool patches shows up and knocks, and nobody answers. And he's like, I guess I'll just leave. But as he's leaving, Chris's girlfriend, the mousy secretary, walks up and sees him leaving the scene of the crime. So she calls the cops when she finds um, her boss's body with a stupid tongue and um, nipples and all sorts of other stuff. And um, so he knows he's got to go. So he goes on the run. This is a super abridged version of this story. So he's on the run and he gets his girlfriend to go with him. And they're like hiding out in all these different places. And then um, she decides that she's kind of not going to do it anymore or what have you. And she runs into Rusk and Rusk is like, hey, why don't you come stay at my place? I'm leaving town. Let me show it to you. It's up these stairs. You know, you're my perfect type of woman, lady. And then the camera pulls back and it's a really great scene. The camera pulls back because we know what's about to happen to her. So then he decides to move the body, and this is one of the like most famous scenes of this movie. He moves her corpse into a potato truck that he knows is going far away or whatever. And he's like, oh, fuck, yeah, I did it. And he goes upstairs, he has a drink, lays on the couch, and then he's looking for his tie pin that has an R on it that is very much his. He's like, oh, shit, I remember when I was raping that girl, she stole it. Duh, I forgot. So then he jumps back in the potato truck and he's like trying to wrestle her rigor mortis full filled body and he can't get in. She keeps kicking him in the face post-mortem and he's like kind of doing all this stuff. Then the truck takes off. Holy shit. He's stuck in the back of the truck with a corpse and the car's moving and all this crazy stuff. And then he has to break his fingers because her fingers were so stiff it broke a pocket knife. And he finally gets the pin out and then he runs <laughs> off into this bathroom when the car finally stops the car gets back on the road body falls out then things are starting to get a little <laughs> so then blaney finds rusk and he's like i need your help i can't find my girl everyone thinks i'm a murderer da -da 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 -da. and he's like hey go come stay at my place it'll be great and as soon as he leaves he has the cops in there and they get him bam motherfuckers in jail the cop's like, hmm, I don't know if I believe this story that it's Rusk. I'm going to start having funny conversations about my wife's cooking, which was actually very good and well done. Long story short, too late. <clears throat> he breaks out of the um, prison hospital thing. Um, we're talking about Blaney here. And he goes after Rusk because he knows it's him. And he walks into his apartment and he sees someone laying in his bed and he's like i'm gonna take this big metal stick and i'm gonna beat the shit out of that body because i think it's rusk and it turns out that it's not it's another girl this one with booby showing and a tongue sticking out and a necktie around her neck and then as he turns around the cop i think his name's oxford walks in and he's like oh shit this isn't what it looks like <laughs> He has that whole thing. But then they hear, katunk, 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 coming up the stairs. Because Rusk is bringing a trunk up so he can put his latest victim in a trunk and get rid of the body. And um, Oxford goes, shh, don't say anything. And he jumps behind the door. And Rusk comes in with the thing and sees Blaney standing there. And he's like, huh, like what the fuck's he doing there? And then the door shuts and he sees the cop. And he's like, uh, and you can tell he's thinking. And he's like, shit, 
not wearing your tie. And that's what Oxford says, and then the trunk falls and the credits roll. Very right. good, good night, everyone. everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> that was frenzy in three and a half minutes. And now yeah, light a smoke after that. That's yeah, I, I deserve Ooh. it. So, so yeah. What'd you guys think of it, though? Well, I want to know first what compelled you to choose this film for the show. I choose choose you. Um, <laughs> no, that's not what I was asking. I know. Well, oh. the thing is, is that <clears throat> a lot of these movies. A lot of these directors, Bava, Argento, Martino, a lot of these guys were influenced by um, the works of Alfred Hitchcock. In fact, the first Jalo film technically is one that we've done on the show called The Woman That Knew Too Much that was titled Ripped Right Off of... The Man Who Knew Too Much. There yeah, you I go. Could, yeah. So, so Technically, we did do it on the show. That's what I said. What's the technically part? I don't remember. He didn't say figuratively. Maybe I said it. I don't remember. Um, Anyway, long story short, um, I got to quit saying that because I'm a fucking liar and I'm like lying to everyone when I say that because my stories are never too short. Um, But then as um, time went on and these movies started getting um, a wider release and stuff, I feel like there might have been a moment when Hitchcock said, these guys are doing kind of what I do but they're really trashy yeah right and um, maybe I should be kind of like getting in on this because my last couple movies have sucked a big one do to do to do and then Argento comes out with bird and is being called the next Hitchcock or whatever the fuck they were saying he was called or the Italian Hitchcock right right and so the UK slash American Hitchcock was probably scratching his giant fat chin neck connection thing. Waddle. Yes, <laughs> trying to figure out how come I'm not Hitchcock? Why do these people have to be the Italian Hitchcock or whatever? Um, so I just thought it would be a neat thing to see how mm-hmm. he would make a movie after all of this is happening and then to see how that movie because you got to understand too probably and this is me reaching at straws here but i would have to assume that frenzy after that movie came out like people like argento and Lindsay and um fulci and all these people were going like oh shit he's fucking playing he's in the game now like oh my god like there there were areolas all over that movie um (laughs) shit what do we do like like that was really fucking and you know what i'm saying it's like to be able to be someone who thinks that they're very small compared to the god known as hitchcock to all of a sudden have hitchcock maybe making some sort of statement about their work with a film had to have really blown their minds. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I just think this movie, even though it's not as jolly as some of the movies we do, I think it probably served a greater role in the history of the art. 
sure. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about this film and its very noticeable Hitchcockian flair. Uh, the, the pull down the steps as, you know, the murder's going on. We're not seeing the murder happen, mm-hmm. but we're going down in that very long shot, which is really cool. Uh, the, the flashes of humor, well, I guess not even flashes, but just kind of drawn out humorous scenes uh, with with Oxford and his wife eating the tiny quail with some cooked grapes. And or, the uh, you know, fucking he, Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy, he just wants his... He wants his eggs and his toast and his, <laughs> That was so his, funny. <laughs> when yeah, he was talking about the truck stop. On... You know, they eat like normal food, you know, like eggs and bacon on sandwiches, yeah. you know. <laughs> if it was up to him, every meal would be breakfast in England. Yep. But so just yeah, that that fun stuff, the the humor that he you know, the the light the levity he brought to the scene in the potato truck when he keeps getting kicked in the face by the rigor mortis girl. So <laughs> It was it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air to see this film, but at the same time, I found myself kind of missing a lot of the touches of Giallo films that we've been watching in the past. And like when they touch the fur at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You perfect. It's just, <laughs> it's just like it's Hitchcock being Hitchcock, and um, you know, it I don't harder know. Harder for Eric to touch his cock. Well. Yeah. I got a hitch. Yeah, I got a hitch down there. So got a hitch in your get along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it reminds me, you know, of, of when he did, you know, movies like the movie Psycho, which was I can't remember if that was kind of like a rip off, not a rip off, but like he took a style that was starting to become popular and and rolled with it and made it his own. Yeah, he got all the credit for it, and um, I mean, he, he definitely has the talent and everything obviously that you can see in these films but it's like it's almost like it's too polished to be totally wholly entertaining uh throughout the long runtime of this film it's it's like i don't know it's just i felt like some of it was kind of drawn out a little bit too much and there wasn't enough fun going on well apparently a lot of the fun got cut out of it yeah it was even longer yeah, I, I'm, I'm, that kind of surprises me. But at the same time, he is kind of long-winded. I'm sure he he likes to say to uh, cut a long story short. <laughs> yeah, he's filming, but <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I, the more I think about it, the more I, I do see parts of it that I enjoy. I like the the sergeant character who he only likes oatmeal, and then he's being offered a margarita, which apparently back then seemed like it was a big deal to drink. What a did she call it? She called it tequila. Tequila. No, but she called it. She said margarita funny too. I was cracking up. Oh yeah. Then she pounded it. Margarita. And she's like, then bam. She slammed it, and then she went and threw up. I think. (laughs) She's like tequila. I'm gonna take my pig foot in this other room and eat it, so no one could see me actually put it in the trash can. (laughs) I think even she knew her cooking was a bit suspect. Sorry, I'm murdering children, as you could hear. Um, But I feel like um, Hitchcock's biggest thing is, like, he sees somebody doing something, and he's like, I could do that better. And And then he just does it. I mean, in some ways he does. Like, you know, you've got the the guys talking about the potatoes and, like, the guy walking by early on in the movie with a potato sack, and all of a sudden it becomes a big plot point. It's, like, stuff like that you don't really get to see 
a lot in uh, the European Giallo films. Uh, but at the same time, it's almost like it's just too highbrow to, you know, be one of those films that, you know, Chris was talking about, where you just kind of go and pay attention every once in a while. But for the most part, you're there to party and have fun. And can't really do that with this film, I feel like. What do you think, Chris? Well, I mean, I, 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 f- I feel like Eric's definitely hitting on some good points. I didn't necessarily think that the film dragged too much for me. It definitely was longer than your average uh, Jallo offering, but you know, um, Hitchcock is is pretty brilliant at you know taking his characters and making them interesting and making some of the scenes, even though they're prolonged and um, a little bit drawn out, that they're still interesting. You know, you can't really do that with a giallo you uh because you know between the 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 language gap you know the language barrier between all the dubbings and um some of the acting that's maybe you know subpar you're not going to be able you know and again the the audience that you know they were um that they were uh catering to for the giallo um you know You just couldn't do those kinds of things. And Hitchcock is, you know, at this point for, you know, really developing out his characters. Um, And so but I think that um, it's really interesting because I think there's there's a lot of subtle, you know, influences of the, you know, of the Jalo movement in this film. Um, Obviously, you know, the biggest one is it seems to me that this is probably the the first film where Hitchcock was really over the top with the sexual violence yeah uh, you know with you know it, it the the scene with um i wish i knew off the top of my head the names of the characters but the the scene with uh let's see here are you uh, talking about the wife the ex-wife yeah what was her character's name blaney's ex-wife um eddie was, like, was that right yeah i, I mean um, we know that no, that's, the, that's not right the big scene. I was like basically. Doris yeah. or Dorothy Brenda. or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Dorothy, Brenda, Babs. Yeah. Um, Dorothy, Brenda, Margaret. The, the scene with with her was was really drawn out and it was really uncomfortable to watch and that was obviously the whole point of it. And um, you know, and this is clearly an influence from Jalo because Jalo really got the camera up close and personal with some of these murder sequences. Um, you know, bird with the crystal plumage, uh, that first murder, um, where the killer, um, you know, uses the knife to take the, uh, the girl's, uh, uh, underwear off. And, uh, even, you know, some of the murders in blood and black lace, which was way before this movie came out, um, we're, we're, we're pretty, we're, we're pretty nasty. And, um, so that's, you know, I think that's re- where one of the main influences from the Jalo come in. But, um, you know, you also have this urban, you know, environment. You have um, some sort of a murder mystery, although it's not really a mystery. It's a mystery to the characters, but it's not a mystery to the viewer. And I think that's the biggest difference. I think that um, I think that Hitchcock um, preferred a little bit more of this voyeuristic approach to the film where it's kind of like as the audience, we know everything. And now we're just going to insult us. Right. Like as a, yeah. as a viewer, he's like, you guys know who it is. Well, I feel like it was more of a thing where it's like, 
if this is what a Jalo does, I'm going to do this instead to show that I could still do this and still make it good. And one of the things, though, is that the book, in the actual book, the first murder is done through a killer POV, and you don't know who it is. And then um, I think there's another murder, and then the third is the killer's POV that turns into uh, the reader finding out it's Rusk. Okay. So to take that story and do that to it. If you go back and and examine some of the other Hitchcock films where there was a murderer, um, I don't think Hitchcock ever really latched on to the whole gimmick of a whodunit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there any of his films where, you know, it was a mystery till the very end? Probably not that I can think of. I've, I haven't seen all of Hitchcock's films, but. Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head, but um, the even thing. Even with Psycho, it, we, we know, you know, that Norman Bates is the killer. We find out the twist at the end that there's something else going on, but it's not really a, a whodunit so much as a, you know, it's, it's more of a psychological kind of well, twist. Well, I mean, you don't think it's Norman until the end. When you find out that he's in the mom's dress, so it, with that being said, Psycho well, yeah, that's true. Because really, yeah, because Psycho, because really Norman up until that point, it, it, the film makes it appear that mother. Norman is covering up for his mom, right? Okay. Well, and it's not even a whodunit then, because you're told that it's his mother. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that maybe that that was a that's a gimmick that Hitchcock just didn't want to latch onto, and and that's what the Giallos were doing. So. You know, and maybe being true to the book also, you know, he, he revealed who this, you know, that it's Rusk, um, you know, a quarter of the way through before we get to the to the first real murder. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, like I said, a lot of subtle influences, I, I think, you know, but it's hard to it's, it's hard to, to decide whether, you know, you know um, how much of the Jalo influence came in and how much um, Hitchcock said, you know, I'm just going to use this as a jumping off point just to say that, you know, I realize that these films are trendy right now and I'm going to do my own version because it's got a lot of his flair. I mean, we already talked about it and the humor and, and um, you know, some of the camera work. I mean, <clears throat> that opening scene is really odd because obviously it's a helicopter shot um, that's flying over. Is that the Thames, I guess? Yeah, sure. or whatever, yeah. And um, they finally get to that bridge, and there is a fade to a different shot, which, if you're not paying close attention, you'll think that it's a it's a it's a um, a shot that goes straight from the long, uh, wide you know aerial view to close up on the crowd by the by the banks. Yeah. Um, if you don't notice that that wipe, you wouldn't know. You would you would think that they they somehow were able to do that with with one shot, but they didn't. But that, but I mean, that's typical of Hitchcock. He he did that in the the very beginning of Psycho, and I think isn't there like a, a really famous um, scene in one of the, his older films where it starts with a not not uh, notorious. I think it's Spellbound, where the shot comes in from wide and it goes all the way to like the girl, and she, she's got her hand behind her back and it zooms in on her finger, uh, on a ring, and she's pointing at something. I don't know if you guys remember that. If you've seen that film, I think it's I think it's notorious. But anyway, like that's sure. that's Hitchcock's thing, like of of doing those wide you know those wide shots yeah. that zoom in and, and are continuous. So 
I think it's, you know, maybe it was more of the mood and the kind of, uh, less of the style, but more of the mood of the giallo that kind of influenced here, because I think the style is still pretty much a Hitchcock style, although it is gritty and dirty and, and nasty. It's not, um, it's not as polished as, as the normal, you know, Hitchcock thriller. And, um, you know, Hitch, Hitchcock doesn't necessarily wrap his films up uh, with happy endings, um, but he usually wraps them up to a certain extent. And, you know, one of the things that gives um, a giallo a certain um, criteria for what, you know, what, what it is, what, what do they all have in common is, you know, how is the killer dealt with and how is how does the killer um, how is the killer visually characterized? How is the killer dealt with by the police or by the uh, amateur detective? And that's really where, you know, um, Frenzy lost a lot of points on Jalo score uh, because, you know, we know who the killer is way early in the film. Um, we don't have an amateur detective and um, we don't really have anything about what happens to Rusk. You don't I mean, consider Blaney an amateur detective? No, because he wasn't trying to find out who was who, he was just trying to he was just trying spending to spending more get time him. on the run yeah he, he he spent all of his energy trying to avoid being captured then you yeah. know thinking there wasn't really any scenes where he was thinking oh i mean i wonder let's go back to this scene Let no because he about... just automatically knew who it was as soon as he got caught right all, all of a sudden he said it's rusk it's rusk because he knew that that rusk uh put the clothes in into in his, his back uh, yeah yeah so I don't consider that, and 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 then the other big one is that you know what what happened to the killer at the end. You know we don't typically in the Jalo we don't want him carried away to jail because that's just lame. So, <laughs> um, you know, if he kills himself, if he accidentally falls off a cliff or he gets shot or something, we give him some points. So um, that's you know frenzy lost a lot of points there, and in the signature section, which is really where. Um, a lot of these giallos kind of form their um, their uniqueness um, in that the genre itself forms a uniqueness, not necessarily each individual film. Um, but basically, you know, all those little one point things like uh, there's an airplane taking off or landing or somebody attends a funeral or there's somebody killed in a bathtub or there's or a uh, motocross race. A motocross race, or somebody, you know, somebody di dies from falling, or um, a staircase. I mean, there's no foreigners. Everybody was English. There was no J and B bottles. Yeah. Um, we did have kind of an odd clue. Um, I wouldn't call it a clue, but I gave it points. Um, the, uh, the 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 pin that yeah. uh, Rusk has to go find in the potato sack. I gave him a point for that. Um, and then, you know, there's a point for proving in innocence. The amateur detective, in this case, there is no amateur detective. But basically, uh, again, you know, Hitchcock is big on this mistaken identity thing. You know, you got North by Northwest, man who knew too much. Uh, it's all these people who are at the wrong place at the wrong time or they just they're they're falsely accused of something. And we've got this here. And in most of Jalo, that person um, f feels compelled to solve the murder because they're trying to exonerate themselves. And in frenzy, that didn't happen. So, um, but I did give the proof of innocence a point. So there was no spiral staircases. I mean, there was, you know, the killer didn't call people on the phone and and taunt them with letters or phone calls or anything. So, um, 
is it is this a giallo obviously it's not but is it was it influenced by and did it have influence on the giallos to come absolutely i would think so i mean it, it you, you can't say that anybody didn't – you, you can't say that people didn't pay attention to what Hitchcock was doing. So, I mean, when this film came out and at the time that it came out and the fact that it was based in London, which was pretty close to, you know, where the whole Jolly uh, movement was kind of centered around because there was a lot of um, Jolly that took place in London. So people obviously paid attention to this. And, and I'm not so sure – that I have the answer for how did this film influence the Jalo or the Jolly that came after? Maybe that's something we can get into, but I can definitely see that. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting that you know you've got these directors who um, kind of created a, a, a new genre by hybridizing you know um, noir and uh, creamy and and Hitchcock and put them together and um, and turned this into this this hyper violence you know who done it with you know kind of the semi party atmosphere to a certain extent and and made this giallo movement and citing hitchcock as a major influence and now all of a sudden hitchcock is kind of um returning the favor so to speak by kind of putting something out that that kind of gives a nod to what these directors were doing and i don't know again like creep you know like you were mentioning if he was doing it uh, to say, ha, I'm just going to one up you because I'm better. Or if he was doing it to say, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm nodding my hat to you guys because, you know, this is a really interesting, you know, subgenre of film that you've created and I want to do it too. Or maybe he was doing both things, you know? So, so what did, what did the, what did it get on the score? Uh, it got a 30. Fuck. Is that the lowest on right. the score? No, it beats stage fright. So. Okay, so it's more jolly than stage fright. <laughs> According to my scoring, yes. I, I think I would agree with that. I mean, you've got the urban <clears throat> location, like you were talking about the, uh, and not as many signatures, but the. It, it sounds like it got more points from the bigger categories. The fact that it took place in the early '70s, the, the mistaken identity, this the, the psychological aspect of it all. Um, I can see where it would it would get points in that those categories over stage fright and but yeah I, I do agree with a lot of what you were saying with Hitchcock it's like I don't know if this movie specifically went on to inspire other Gialli films or if it was just kind of him giving a nod to the films that he had already inspired up to this point and the fact that they were in the kind of the wheelhouse era for this this particular type of film they just kept rolling with it and, and using that momentum to keep going so i don't know if this feel, film helped that out i feel like i mean the year after this you have torso with the ascot shit mm-hmm. you know and that like yeah. it's hard to say like oh did that they go oh we need to do something like that or was it just like, hey, I also am making this movie where this guy does something kind of like that, you know? Because, like, <clears throat> obviously with Torso, there is a ton of backstory to the killer and why he's doing the stuff that he does and all of his past trauma. Whereas Frenzy is more like this guy is just compulsive and can't help himself, you know? Like, it's we never, like get like a full-on um like at the end of psycho where this guy's a fucking pervert and 
blah, 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 blah. You know, like you don't have that um, thing in it. But um, the thing from, well, let's talk about that torso thing. Maybe. I don't know. Like, do you guys want to talk about that at all? Or is that just... Well, I think no. I think you brought up another good point, too. And I think that one of the things that, that, that Frenzy shares with the Giallo uh, films is that, um, unlike, you know, when you got to the end of Psycho, there was this long, drawn-out, you know, let's have the, um, the psychological guy come in and give us like a, a psychological profile of Norman and Norman's mother's personality and <clears throat> really get into... Uh, all of the and then they did that right again in bird with crystal plumage yeah and 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 most of the giallo that come after that they really don't do that there's like maybe 30 seconds devoted to why did the killer do this and now okay let's try to capture him or let's try to stop him from killing more people and that happened in frenzy too i mean they didn't really get into like what's rusk's background like what you know and really you could you could argue that frenzy gets less of a score than 30 because i basically said that the killer's motivation was psychological trauma now i'm only assuming that the killer has a psychological trauma that would cause him to have this um this fetish uh you know the sexual um hang up with strangulation and women and violence um but you know what what other motivation would it have been i mean he's he's certainly not just this cold-blooded murderer he's got a sexual hang-up and he's got some psychological something going on but i thought it was interesting a good point basically that you brought up uh creep is that you know they in this film they really don't dwell on it at all it's like okay um he's at uh, he he brings the the trunk to the top he knows he's caught he's at the top of the steps he they drop the trunk and it's over you know the film's over no more um, analyzation or no, no more, you know, discussion is necessary at this point. You know, it's all, all the it, loose ends are tied it's up. It's just, it's so weird because it's a movie that we spend a lot of time with the killer, but we really don't know shit about him. Right. And not a lot of time passes because we still don't even know a whole lot of shit about um, Blaney. And it's like that whole, like, writer thing where you know you want to you want to come into a scene late and leave early you know to keep people interested and keep the action going and then when you really sit and think about it like we don't know anything about anyone in this movie it's just and the fact that we are able to give a shit about any of these characters is extraordinary because we really have no idea about these people right. And yeah, that, really it's only amazing. Oxford. Yeah. <laughs> and his marriage. And that thing is great, too, because with your Jalo um, shit, your cops are either incompetent or assholes. Okay? Uh-huh. And right. in this sense, they're like, and this wasn't in the book either. This was complete Hitchcock. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. we're going to put you in here, and we're going to bring your wife in here, and we're going to... You guys are going to be talking about the case, but the way we're going to have you relate to everyone watching this film is you're going to hate your wife's cooking. Go. (laughs) You know? And just like little things, like I cannot wait till we have real bread in this house. Like just every little thing. Brilliant. That's totally the brilliance of Hitchcock because, you know, basically he took the amateur detective thing and threw it away, but he gave us something else 
and he gave us like a third character that we actually cared about like okay you know we don't necessarily care like you said we don't care about the killer and we don't care about the innocent um you know the the, the innocent uh, accused uh we care enough about them that we're following along but this other guy we get you know we start to care about him too because he's being tortured by his wife and you know i wonder if you know if if frenzy was um the subject of you know critical scrutiny in you know some sort of film class if you started to talk about um the difference between the classes and the bourgeois and the aristocrats and the symbolism in in the cooking um and and how you know maybe the wife was trying to symbolize um you know an upper class um you know I, i'm starting to get into things that i don't even know where i'm going with them but i'm seeing like you know all of that type of symbolism um surrounding the cooking could turn could totally make uh people go into a long discussion about you know uh metaphors and, and symbolism in the film and i don't know that that's necessarily there but there's a part um, of me that feels like toby hooper probably saw that first dining room scene and was like oh i need to make a movie with a fucking badass dining room scene and then david lynch is yeah. like oh my god i gotta make a movie where there's these little birds kicking their legs on the plate <laughs> it was like like i don't know man it's almost you could see like the same shots dude it's just like yeah. that's awesome but <clears throat> as you were saying with like we didn't care about the killer the one thing that hitchcock does do that i'm surprised never caught on with the giallo is um you he'll always have at least one scene where you are kind of like kind of caring for the killer in the sense that suspense is building and you're like right. oh my god so like anything from like and of course i'm talking about the potato truck scene Right. Like, that was like a fucking 13 minute scene of just pure s stress. And I mean, you have the exact same thing when Norman puts the car in the fucking water and it doesn't go down. You know, you have the same thing like in Rope when they're like, people are coming in and you know there's a body in that trunk and strangers on a train. Like, yep. you're, you're giving a shit about these people and that is like something that hitchcock does that i'm i i'm trying to think if there's any jally that kind of does that but i can't fucking think of one because the hidden identity is always something that trumps it you know right. like i i can't put my finger on it but it's a brilliant thing that is well, I mean, so hitchcock I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, in Blood and Black Lace. You know, at, at some point, at the end of that film, they reveal who the killers are. Yeah. And I think there's a certain amount of of suspense that goes into, you know, how those because they have two, to go and do one more. They have to resolve, thing. you know, yeah. thing. And I, we we don't want to give it away because yeah. we haven't covered the film. But um, there's a little bit of that there. But even even in Psycho, where you sit and you. You're waiting for the car to go into the swamp and then it goes slowly and then it stops and then it goes again and then it stops again you know like that whole thing it, that's definitely a, a hitchcock uh and then just like how he's cleaning up the room and he's like shit did i get everything and you're like oh, he left that piece of paper or did he is there like it's just like that whole thing and it's just 
yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just get excited about that. That he could yeah, take no, a horrible character, and not Norman Bates, for example, but like like Rusk in this movie. Like, the whole time you're watching it, you're like, oh my god, don't get seen. You know, like, you're, you're not going like, oh, somebody find that fucker. You know, yeah. it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I don't know. That's right. I was. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that, that's exactly right. That, I mean, that's what Hitchcock does. He he knows how to to manipulate your emotions for the characters and then just totally screw with you. Like, you know, Marion, is it Marion Crane? This the yeah. the main character in Psycho. And it, she's like, you're all in with her. You want to know what's going to happen. You, you're, you, you feel her pain because she's she's decided to to run away with the money and you feel like you know she's she's got no choice and then you realize that you feel bad for her and she's got to she's going to go back again she's going to make things right and then she's she's killed and it's like well i invested you know what almost an hour's worth of my time in this particular character and they're gone yeah and and then you just and but then you keep watching the movie because it's like you know hitchcock knows exactly how to manipulate your emotions to well, whatever's going thing, on currently. That thing was all different too because that had never happened before. Right. Yeah, that had never been done. Where before. the star gets killed halfway through the movie. Right. You yeah. know, but um, I was just thinking about, about the um, wrong film. Yeah, we are. It's, and it's, again, it's I'm going to again because all like, Hitchcock at the same time. when you have that like I was just remembering that shot from Four Flies with the milk on the tray and he's bringing it to um wooden board actress oh you mean cat of nine tails cat of nine tails yeah and then um that's almost the exact same shot isn't it from i think it's suspicion where he's bringing her milk and she doesn't know if it's poison or not and she's in bed oh is that the right movie suspicion that one's fucking good if that's the right one i'm thinking of (laughs) it's the one where the girl isn't sure if her husband's a murderer and she just has to trust him. It's, and, oh, it's That's so why good. I think, like, we're talking about how we don't know anything about these characters and we don't know their backstories and their history. And, you know, we know a little bit that uh, Blamey, what was his name? Blamey. It's, it's Blaney, but in the original book, it was Blamey. That's okay. That's where I'm getting that from. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, we know that he was married to. Um, Ugly. Barbara, Barbara, Margaret, Margaret, Brenda. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like we don't need to know their their whole history because there's these little tiny snippets of things that really tell us all about their character. You know, Rusk with his pin and his, you know, and and Blaney with his suit and the leather patches on the shoulders and the fact that they kept bringing it up that it's you know, Chris, you were talking about the class system and maybe it's something that we don't have to dig into too much but it's like they were they kept talking about how he his dress was unsuitable for london and it was kind of lower class and right i think another thing too like divorce even in the late 60s early 70s was still really frowned upon probably Mm -hmm. and if you got divorced it was because like shit just was not working at all you know because people tried to make lower you're probably lower class because if you if you were married and you were in in the in, in the aristocracy kind of class then 
you didn't get divorced because there was family and there was money and yeah. it was like it would be it was it, it made more sense to stay together and not be happy with your mate than to actually get divorced and have to deal with the the loss of the money so if these people um, got divorced they must really not see eye to eye about stuff right so well, just I mean, he, knowing they're divorced and like i think he says like she's like are you gonna be violent again since the last time i saw you or whatever and he's like i haven't seen you in a year and then he starts raising his voice so like right away you already know the tension between the two of them it's just like it was just that kind of shit was done well even though the more you look into this film you find the problems with the dialogue that a lot of the actors had that um, a lot of reviews of the movie will talk about how like would well, it wasn't the dialogue British enough. wasn't British enough the dialogue was very trite um, things of that nature oh yeah yeah I, I didn't really notice that too much but maybe that's because of the, the time difference you know the the cultural difference by you know because this is the first time I've ever seen it so um, and two we've been watching movies that have really shitty dialogue that's yeah. True. Oh yeah. So that still might be a pretty fucking amazing script. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'll give him a pass because what it was his return to the UK for the first time since like the forties. Yeah, I think it was his. What was it? His fifty-second movie. Uh huh. Yeah. So there's going to be some. I mean, he's he's Americanized, so it's going to be a little hard to get back into that culture. I'm sure, but yeah, I have to, I think. They just did a great job with the characters overall that you didn't need to open up their whole stories. And the fact that they were, yeah, they were able to get you to sympathize with certain characters or maybe just empathize is a better word. But um, like with Rusk and the the fact that, you know, that the panic that set in when he was in the the potato truck, we've all been there. Just like we've all tried to gamble on horses or, or wanted to gamble on horses and we just didn't have that last $5 to put on it. So We've all been trying to pry something out of a dead girl's hands that oh, yeah. implicate us in some way. Um, I do wonder if... This really is off-subject, so... Oh, I'll go ahead. Um, I wonder how... Because I haven't seen that many Krimis, but I wonder if the Krimis are as Hitchcock inspired as the Jalo are. I think the Krimis probably went hand in hand with Hitchcock, you know, way back in the day. And at some point there must've just been some branching off where the the Krimis went one way and Hitchcock the other. And then the Jellies were, you know, followed that Krimi path. But, and that's what I was going to say earlier with, with Hitchcock. It's like, he didn't need those to make a film like the jelly directors seemed like they needed it you know that was more on the continent whereas he was you know off in the uk and or america doing his own thing so he didn't need that inspiration so that may be why a lot of the stuff doesn't connect on that same level as the other films Mm. but what Um, do i know i'm not a historian liar um, another little interesting tidbit from the book um, is that apparently the uh, the book took place right after World War II, and Blamey's character was very um, guilt ridden about the people that he killed during the war, 
and when the cops came to question him about the like the necktie murders and asking them how many people he killed he was all drunk and he's like thousands like uh, thinking that he they were asking him about the war and that's how his guilt was um, looked at by the police and how he was picked up um, instead of Rusk so that's another little interesting bit yeah, that is interesting. Okay. I, you know, obviously they didn't need to go to that extreme for the film, so. And plus, they I think they wanted to, it, you know, it was obviously filmed in modern day, 72, 71, what have you. Now, <clears throat> what did you think of our hero Blaney? Blaney. Like, did you like him? Was he a, Was he a George Hilton to you guys? Was he... As good as they come. More of a Franco Nero. He was. I can uh, see that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I wasn't. Um, I didn't really care that much. I mean, I I I cared enough because I I'm you know I generally care that you know innocent people don't go to jail. Um. So and, and you know as You're you normally a saint. <laughs> you're a pussy uh, no um, you know you basically care that the good guys win and the bad guys lose so in that regard I thought Blaney was somebody that I was rooting for but I mean you know he wasn't the greatest hero and, and he didn't really seem very sad that all the chicks that was close to him were dead I mean he was done properly I mean he, he wasn't he wasn't expected they didn't expect the audience to really root for him beyond let's just make sure he doesn't go to jail for the wrong reasons because you know he he's an alcoholic he has violent tendencies i wouldn't say he's an alcoholic but he has a drinking problem or something uh he has violence maybe some violence tendencies he's um you know he can't he can't hold a job and he's got a, a sense of arrogance um to a certain extent and you know, I um, I really enjoyed uh, Inspector Oxford much better uh, as a character than Blaney. Yeah. Um, I just thought he was um, he was fun to watch and he was fun to kind of kind of think about. You know, what's his life like? You know, the, this duality between. I mean, can you imagine just going home and every single night it's like a, a dress-up affair. Uh, to sit down for dinner with a candle and just all of the, I don't even know what you call that. You that obviously didn't grow up at my grandma's house. I didn't. <laughs> I obviously didn't. Yeah, I was um, going to ask you guys, what was the? Is this the most disgusting food scene, or is it still not top? Don't bring it up, dude. Okay. I'm oh no, the most. We all up. know the most disgusting food yeah. scene. Of dude, I'm picturing it, and you guys are both jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess there wasn't like any gestures when uh, Abe takes feet in this one. Oh, for those who haven't so been listening gross. to all all of our podcasts, we're referring to the fish eating oh, scene. You didn't have to say it; just say the movie. <laughs> in in uh, Death Walks on High Heels, where Susan uh, Scott uh, makes love to um, a grilled fish through a dude's has has, has, oh. has oral has oral sex. 
and and digital digital and oral sex with a grilled fish. <laughs> and it's like all over her chin and yeah, and it, oh, oh, oh man, give me that seafood stew any day. That's all I gotta say. <sighs> Never going to Red Lobster again. Uh, it's the same sauce that they cook tripe in. Uh, <laughs> but did you did you notice? I thought it was weird. Like the very beginning, the the music was kind of like happy, this almost like royal fanfare kind of thing. Yeah. Like, hey, welcome to London, you know. And then, uh, you know, obviously that was done on purpose to kind of be, you know. Uh, some sort of juxtaposition between what was what was going to happen next. Um, it was kind of like with the picture super wide, the beautiful royalty of London, and then the closer you got, like the dirtier you found out London was. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yep. <clears throat> so let's talk some uh, trivia and stuff. Because I know there sure. is, for once, there is a ton of information about a movie we're doing. So, um, Eric, do you have any awesome little tidbits? Oh, I think we kind of sprinkled, I sprinkled a few throughout. Um, the toilet just, just now? Well, we don't need to go into that. That's behind the scenes, pulling back the curtain sort of thing. Um, I mean, the trivia... I guess, yeah. I, I mean, if you want to pull it from IMDb, then we're, we're going to be here all night because there was a ton of stuff on there. But just the stuff that we sprinkled in about how he kind of was a little snipey towards some of the, uh, the the technical crew and the union reps and things like that. Um, one that I thought was actually really interesting was some of the casting choices that they almost had in the film. Yeah. Like Michael Caine was one of them for the Rusk character. Yeah. Which I thought there was another character in this film that looked a lot like Michael Caine. But... Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> I told you to blow the bloody dolls off. Put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, what uh, I because on IMDb it talks about how he turned down the part because he didn't want to be associated with like a rapist or anything like that. And then later on Hitchcock like ignored him when they like ran into each other somewhere and that pissed oh, yeah. him off. Seems like a passive aggressive kind of guy. Yeah. Maybe just aggressive. Yeah. I think what was the other one? There was, oh yeah, David um, Hemmings was going to be. That playing. was another one that was really cool. Like I'm, huh. I'm glad as fuck that he didn't get it. No, but right. um, totally different character. It's cool that like a uh, Argento deep red. Like he probably went in and said, "Hey, just so you know, I was like number three for Blaney and Frenzy, and Argento's like you, you got the you got the part. You're right. in. Oh yeah, right. Come you on. You want to direct the film? You could direct the film. <laughs> right. Sure. But um, Vanessa Redgrave turned down the role of Brenda. And um, Helen Mirren, um, who later played his wife in the Hitchcock film, which was really good, um, turned down the role of Babs and regretted it her whole life, which is still going on because she's alive. She's and still well, regretting it right now. Living in Baltimore. Yeah. Do we yeah. want to talk about which scene Hitchcock was in? Because we all know he likes to 
hang out in one of his scenes in every film. He played the left areola. <laughs> victim number three. It's a good guess. Chris, do you want to take a stab? Uh, I didn't see him, so I would guess that he's somewhere in the beginning of the film. Um, like right before the first murder or first body shows up in the in the lake, but I have no idea. It's a river. Yeah, you're, river. you're pretty much Sorry. right on there. He's he's in that crowd when they're talking about cleaning up the river, and then ironically, a body comes floating by. Apparently, though, the trivia that I got, which was kind of funny, and I think it showed up in the trailer um, for the film, which we all know Hitchcock likes to make his trailers a little more humorous they're than so natural good. film content. So but good. apparently, he wanted to be the dead body floating in the river until they... I don't know why that, how that would make sense with the, you know, until the, they're like, yeah, but he rapes the people over yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, well done. Nice. So, but I think in the trailer they still like for the humorous aspect of that Hitchcock was actually the one floating in the river, yeah. like the dummy that they made for it. It looks great. I found all these um, pictures of it online. <clears throat> I liked it. Yeah. yeah. So, so those are so those are some of the things I've that I found. I thought were of note of interest. Did you find anything, Chris? I did not. I did look. Okay, well, Eric, you were okay. talking about um, uh, Henry Mancini. Do I get, do I, get a, do I get no credit for that section? You get no credit. You you get a big fat goose egg on that one, my friend. I'm being All the right. teacher's pet right now. Yes, he put an apple in my mouth earlier. So are you going to talk about Mancini, or should I? Um, yeah, why don't you go ahead? I've been talking up a storm okay. on this whole entire episode. Henry, you really haven't. You've been <laughs> no, doing really like good. <laughs> Henry Mancini was originally hired to do the score, and you could actually find... you could The score is out there for you to hear like what he did. Um, but Hitchcock came in and he started yelling at him and he's like if i wanted herman i would have fucking hired herman and he fired him and apparently Whoa. that was one of the <clears throat> most like i don't want to say traumatic experiences but um mancini that like hurt him more than most things ever did his whole life and uh so that's kind of sad i would imagine but hitchcock scored to this film was man yeah, I don't. I can't remember who did the score, but it was very Ron much different. Goodwin. Yeah, there's no flutes or violins or jazzy scores in this one. Very no. much by the books, Hollywood production. Yeah, except not Hollywood, but yeah, big budget production. I think this was like a two million dollar movie back in 1972, which was kind of nuts. Mm. Yeah. And it, gross i think 12 something million so it's oh, there, okay there there is a cut okay so the, the i just read in the trivia that this the second long cut where they back from uh where they go backwards from rusk's apartment yeah all the way out the street there is a cut um where the guy with the potato sack walks across the screen yeah you don't know you don't notice it unless you really look for it that's pretty cool yeah because the they shot the stairway and all that shit at the studio and then pulled okay. out 
at the on the actual yeah, street. You can see the color palette's a little different, so. Once yeah, I just cut. thought that was like the light coming in or something. It's awesome. Good stuff. Oh, Alf, Alfie. Yeah. Well, um, so that's frenzy, I guess. That's frenzy. Yeah, that was a frenetic discussion. It, frenzy uh, discussion. Frenzetic. This is our Halloween episode, guys, and this is the best we did. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah. Every podcast has a Halloween episode. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is ours. So we're gonna tie that backing away shot into the opening shot of Halloween when they back out of the house. <laughs> there you go. So there we go. Halloween a episode standing there. done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little Alfred Hitchcock in his clown costume. <clears throat> yep, looking like a clown. Um, but we do have a big thing to talk about right now, which is what are our next top three picks? What are the what are the next three movies we're gonna do? Next week we have Eric's pick, which is Matiakila. Mio Caro Assassino. 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 I like that title a little more. You just like just Assassino. Because it. it says ass twice. Ass, yeah, two ass. You're the booty man. I see mm-hmm. no ass. The booty, booty, booty man. <laughs> and, um, Guys, we got to get these picks right this time. Yeah. People are depending on us. People are getting very upset. Uh-huh. I had one person send in an email saying if we let that jerk Chris pick another movie, they're never listening <laughs> to the show again. <laughs> right. Naturally, <laughs> so he'll get all, that all the votes. Yeah. I think I won all the votes, didn't I? Did last time, yeah. Oh, fucking pat yourself on the back, motherfucker. It's fine. <laughs> so, um, who wants to go first? Well, pick me, can... pick me. Chris, go first. Okay. All right. I'm just going to say I can let you pick Chris. Okay. So um, I'm going to be a I want a, I want a big preamble here. You got to really but sell it before you tell I'm going to get a big preamble because that's what I do. Okay. I'm just a preambler. <laughs> uh, I'm going to piggyback off of Creep and be... Um, different and odd and um what is it unconventional is that the word we're looking for God damn it. Um, yeah it's one the unconventional the, 20s that's the episode we're in right now yeah one one of the one of the films that i really wanted to do on giallo score because i am very very interested to see how closely it scores up in the high ranks is Titanic. a slasher film is a oh. slicer uh, is a slasher. I, I kept saying slasher film. Is a slasher film from the '80s called "Happy Birthday to Me." Ooh, and so I've that is now. my that is my pick for uh, my next pick for the show. Wow, that's very interesting. You think about that film, and you've and if you've seen it before, you've got a black glove killer who remains anonymous till the end. And there's a lot of other stuff in that film that's very Jalo-esque, and uh, you got a flashback scene at the end. That's you know, there's all kinds of motives and and you know. Got a girl from the little house on the prairie. Well, Don't forget about that. Right? Let's put your money where your birthday cake is and see how well it does. All right. Ooh. 
Oof. How are we going to top that? Yeah, you're not even taking a break from Frenzy. From being weird. Just being goof. <laughs> In the goofy. unconventional 20s. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember my unconventional 20s. Yeah. <laughs> it was all a blur. I went back to my unconventional 20s over the weekend and was drinking Jägermeister, Crown Royal, and Red Bull and threw up a bunch of all all over the bathroom. I think it was the salsa that I was eating with it, but my puke tasted like Red Bull and it made me want to fucking puke more. It was awful. Mm -hmm. That's the vicious cycle. I said, I'm not 18 anymore. What am I doing? Yeah. 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 So wait, is Jaeger and Crown Royal and Red Bull put together? Does that make a drink or you were just mixing them? No, dude, my neighbor did it. And I don't know what it's called. It might be called, hey, you're going to fucking throw up in a little bit. But it actually <laughs> tasted quite nice. And I fucking hate Red Bull. You should have looked at it like the, the girl looked at her. I'm actually getting kind of milk, sick right now thinking about wondering it. Wondering if he was trying to poison you or something. Yeah. He could have been. Although I did drink more than everybody else. Eric, what's your pick? Okay. This is about as unconventional as I'm willing or, you know, able to get because I'm, I'm just a little bit gun shy, a little scared. <laughs> uh, but after happy birthday to me, I guess I don't have anything to be scared about. But anyway, this is, this is what I'm going to go with. Uh, I'll just start off by saying it is a Lucio Fulci film. So <gasps> right. There's clue number one damn it and it is inspired by a hitchcock film so called the that'll tie into it. this one what's nice. that nothing go ahead you got it you got it yet <laughs> i'm being a dick <laughs> i know what it is but i'm i'm not rude so thank go you ahead. thank you <laughs> all right well i'm gonna give you three titles you can pick the favorite one of those and go with it on the poll. <laughs> Perversion going, Story. Perversion Story, one on top of the other, Unasul Ultra. Yes! All right. That's Very awesome. Nice. Yeah. I. Which one do I like better? Hmm. That's a great one. It is good. I, I like that movie. Let me see here. We'll go with one on... No, let's go with Perversion Story. It sounds more lurid, even though That's it's... That's what I have listed first. Yeah. In my the problem with Perversion Story is I think there's another Jalo that has uh, one of its titles called Perversion Story. I think it's a it's an Umberto Lenzi Jalo from the 60s. So we're getting into but, stage fright territory again? What a bunch yeah, of I, motherfuckers. <laughs> So let's say one on top of the other. Yeah, or... And we'll just call it Perversion Ultra. Unosu Ultra. Everyone knows what we're How talking about. How come I always sound like a bandito whenever I do a kind <laughs> of accent? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, then I'm going to go a little... Um, not off the rails completely, but it's a movie I've talked about a lot of times on here that I've been wanting to do. Um, it is... Let, let's give you. Let's throw some things out. Um, it has some animal violence in it that I'm not very big on, and it's actually quite disturbing. Um, and it's done in flashbacks that kind of happen quite a few times throughout the film. Hmm. Um, there is a priest in it, naturally, and Carol Baker's in it. 
you guys want to take a stab at it? Is it, uh... And my boyfriend's in it. Your boyfriend? Yeah, um... George Rajard. Oh, yeah. Is it is it a Lindsay film? You're asking no questions. You're just supposed to give oh. me answers. Sorry. Those are your clues, friends. Is it from... Oh, You're yeah, asking questions. Question. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'll just tell you Wait. guys. No. Yeah, take, really. a guess. take a guess. Go, go. Uh, so sweet, the... so perverse. Nope. Something seven times. Nope. <laughs> Knife of ice. Knife of ice, yes. Is that it, really? Hey, yeah. Washing machine. <laughs> Washing machine. Washing machine. <laughs> Knife of ice, huh? Coming. That's going to be the 30th one, I think. Okay. Washing machine. We'll see. So <laughs> we have um, Happy Birthday to Me, um, Perversion Story, and Knife of Ice. So and that's I'm surprised that um, Eric decided to do perversion story or decided to do yeah perversion story instead of don't torture duckling i thought that's where he was going with it yeah that's i know that's his favorite i was getting ready it was on my short list but and i guess it would i wanted to go with a film with fulci for sure with my next pick because i feel like he got kind of the short shrift on our the other one that we did with for him um lizard in a woman's skin so it was either between those two, and I'm just like, you know what? I want to see a movie I haven't seen before because that's what it's all about. So, there you go. That's we'll it. get there someday. Um, and I do want to say for the people who've been writing in movies that they want us to do, I do have a list of those movies. And um, obviously ignoring My them. Dear Killer no, is one of those. My Dear Killer is one of those. But my next pick is going to be one of the listener picks. Um, but I just had a big list of movies that I wanted to um, knock out right off the bat as I say almost a year into the show (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so we'll put that up on the thing and you guys can all go to our Facebook page and vote till your heart's content actually I think you can only vote once and um Hopefully your heart will be content after one vote. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that'll be that. Just create other accounts and vote with those. Yeah, Facebook does not frown upon that at all. That's right. Those damn Nazis who run Facebook. You can, you can, um, you can create a bot that would just automatically continue to register and vote on your behalf. You know, That's you how you keep winning these things, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, well, um, so next time we have My Dear Killer, which has one of my favorite death scenes of all time in the first uh, 30 seconds of the movie. It's really cool. So, um, and we got... I keep trying to George find ways Hill. to get these, these films out to you guys, too. So, I'm trying to yeah. find them out there online. I think My Dear Killer is on YouTube. Uh Uh-huh. It might be in a funny language. I'm not sure, but I think it's on YouTube. Yeah. So, is that it? Is that the show? Did we just do our wad? I just want to say that if you're anywhere near the Philly area and you're not um, beholden to trick-or-treating with small children and you have the evening... uh, I was a foot rub... I would recommend the uh, Italian horror, Halloween Horror Marathon, 
um, which is near uh, Philly in the Ballack-Kinwood area. They're going to be showing uh, City of the Walking Dead, uh, a.k.a. Gates of Hell, uh, Deep Red, uh, Night of the Zombies, and Jungle Holocaust. Wow. So um, that, that, is is, uh, that is one hell of a lineup, and I really wish I could go. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I, I also just, um, I, and the 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 big twenty uh, four hour uh, horror festival uh, has just just passed this weekend as well. I was keeping up with it. Um, people basically tweet from the festival like which films are coming out, you know, as they come out. And um, I have to say, uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't go, to be honest. Um, because again, we've talked about this before, but every year they they do somewhere between um, 13 and 15 films, depending on how long they are, and uh, over a 24-hour period. And you don't know what they are ahead of time. They're all surprises, and they run the gamut from zombie to monster to vampire to just about everything. And their surprises and, uh, weren't very good this year. Well, I mean, you know, you, there's no way that you could ever please everybody. Um, but you know, my take on this whole thing was the very first year that they did this, they did all of the classic horror films that everybody likes. And I'm not talking about the mainstream classics. I'm not talking about the exorcist and the shining and, and alien. I'm talking about, um, evil dead and pieces and zombie and gates of hell and those sorts of B horror movies that, you know, that, that are really popular. And, um, as they moved on to the second the second festival and, and so on, and now this is the eighth one that they've done, they've kind of got this thing where they don't want to repeat anything. And so each each year, for me at least, the films get a little bit more obscure. They just, if they're not obscure, they're just films that I don't necessarily consider to be that great. Like this year, they, they did Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3. They did Pet Ooh. Cemetery. They did... Yeah. Um, Mother's Day, they did uh, Night of the Creeps, um, and a, a film by Michael Mann called The Keep, which I've never seen. Um, but, you know, so so I kind of have this love-hate relationship with the whole thing, because I really wanted to go, and I almost had a ticket, and I was really excited that I was possibly going, and then at the last minute I couldn't go, and then when I started to see the films start to trickle in from the people that were there, I'm like, well, uh, I wouldn't have wanted to see that one or I wouldn't wanted to see that one. So, you know, last year I think they did Inferno, which would have been, a sh you know, that would have been great to see on the big screen. Um, so, you know, for, for anybody who went to see it, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of blogs uh, for people who went to the festival and said that the lineup was great and that the films were great. And there are, there are a bunch on here that I've never heard before. So maybe some of these unknown ones were really good, you know, and crowd pleaser films. I don't know. Um, but uh, that's just my take on the whole thing, and I'm going to try to do something within the next few days where I kind of have my own tiny, solo, one-person horror movie festival in my in my own house. Underpants. You know, there you go. <laughs> uh, so that I can at least, you know... Stick my zoom, zoom, I, zoom, and your boom, boom. And I pretend that I went to do something. Um, but anyway, that's... That's all I have to say. Yeah, I gotta, yeah, I, I gotta watch some stuff before Halloween gets here. Yeah, that's the way I've been doing it. I've been doing my own marathons in my house, and that's that's the way to go. You know, you get your bagel licorice, you get your, <laughs> uh, 
drink well, of you can't, beverage of choice. You can't complain that you know this wasn't a film you would have picked for the marathon because you pick them. So, right, exactly. Actually, and I, I don't care. And I don't care if every single year I watch the first Halloween because it's a great film. You know, like sometimes it's like, well, we're not going to show that again because no one wants to see it anymore. But you know, okay. we're like having to watch Halloween three again because Tom Atkins is in it. <laughs> that is the trendy pick lately. Ugh. He was this mean stepdad in fucking creep show. <laughs> Bastard. Oh, yeah. He was also was autobiographical. Like, wasn't he like the love interest in the fog? Yeah. Fucking he was gross. Not, yeah, he was really gross. Like the and biker he was guy. he was the <laughs> alcoholic cop in Night of the Creeps. Yep. Yep. And he got his fucking face hit with a fucking pitch thing and fucking pickaxe and fucking My Bloody Valentine 3D, which was awesome. <clears throat> Went right through that motherfucker's jaw. Kaplowie. Oh my god. Okay, so check this out. I'm totally going to take this to another level here. Because <laughs> for the last, like, four fucking episodes, I've been meaning to talk about something. And I keep forgetting. So, <clears throat> here it goes. So I'm talking to my mom. And I'm, like, telling her about, like, yeah, you know, we're doing um, The Girl Who Knew Too Much on the Jalo Show and um, blah, 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 blah. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But she's, like, really plain, doesn't say stuff like that. And um, we're just, like, chatting it up and talking about, like, different actresses and actors and stuff. And I bring up John Saxon. And she's like, oh, you like John Saxon, huh? And I'm like, well, he's in a ton of these movies, and he was Nancy's dad in the Elm Street movies, you know, and I'm just kind of going through the thing. And he was that guy, he, he was the uh, producer in that episode of Murder, She Wrote, when they wanted to adapt one of her books, uh, Corpse Dances at Midnight, you know. So I'm just, like, kind of going down the list and all the cool John Saxon stuff. And she's like, oh, well, I should give you um, the picture he gave me then. And I'm all, what? Okay. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. But she's like, yeah, here. And she gives me a fucking... The Burt Reynolds pose. A signed 8x10 um, John Saxon that's like, hey, Creep's mom's name here. Um, thanks for coming out. It was really great <laughs> meeting you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, your uncle was dating a girl who was friends with him and in a play with him. And we all went to go see the play. And then we all went out afterwards. And da -da 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 -da. And I'm like, what? That's awesome. <laughs> so it was just like a... Like Six how, degrees of John Saxon. Yeah, how am I 36 years old and you're just now telling me that this event transpired? Like... <laughs> I don't know. It was just a trip. Wow. So, uh, so now it's hanging up above my couch. Wow. Can you get him on the show? <laughs> yeah, I'll get him on the show tomorrow. Okay. I'm going to say, why didn't you believe Nancy? Yeah. And how could you let that guy stab you in the tummy? In that yeah. big area in Tenebrae? How <laughs> dare you? Wide open space. <laughs> and were you, were you actually freaking out on that girl and uh, girl who knew too <laughs> much? Or was that just that. The... Were you going to rape her? Yeah. <laughs> Is that just all a big, big joke, big rib? Before you gave her your big rib. Mm. Is that a biblical <laughs> joke or something? Mm -hmm. It's a McDonald's joke. Oh, okay. Like rib, chomp. Nope. Okay, moving right along. So, Creep, did um, you like the uh, <clears throat> did you like the one guy on the Facebook who who thought of you when somebody said that he was going to go to Pound Town? 
I haven't been on Facebook in like two weeks. Was it good? Uh, Someone said they're going to Pound Town and they thought of me. Like were they, yes, exactly. Were they fluffing like off a, to me or something? No, it was a text message exchange, and the guy oh, was, it was from Al. It was yeah, from it was Al, Al. The, uh, our Italian stallion. He he put up a picture of a text message exchange, and the guy was kind of leading the girl. It was like a, I don't know, Chris. Did it seem like it was some kind of a dating site or something? They were just meeting for the first time, and they were texting each other. Like, and he said, "I'm going to take you to Pound Town." And he's, she's like, he's like, yeah, I come from a small town, you know, blah blah. blah. And she's like, oh, what town? He's like, Pound Town. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you his friend snagged his phone when he was taking a deuce in the bathroom <laughs> or something and he's like pound pound there goes that date I just find it fantastic that you know it, it wasn't a reference to film or Not music or giallos or no. anything it was a reference to pound town yeah and I, I can't have a tuna melt now without thinking of Eric <laughs> Not bad, nah. Not bad, nah. Not bad, nah. There you go. Okay. Well, this has turned very masturbatory. So, um... Let's close this tuna can and go. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a frenzy of ideas. Oh, that's what this show was. It was a frenzy. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any comments or anything, feedback or whatever you have, um, get it to us, damn it, so we can talk about it. Because uh, obviously we run out of things to talk about quite quickly on this show. So um, so until next time, here is the trailer for My Dear Killer. And ciao, ciao, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Hello. This is the end of the story. What I'm about to say concerns every one of you, but especially the killer. Throughout the investigation, the things that most amazed me were your coldness, your ruthless cynicism, and the way you could just disappear. On occasion, I came very near to unmasking you, but each time I was taken in and thrown off the trail by these characteristics. And I tell you that even now, you think that you're secure that you're safe. You believe that you've covered your tracks perfectly, that you foresaw all the moves that could be made. You had the cold-blooded nerve to pull off a killing in public, and the quickness of mind to stay one step ahead of me, right up to the end. No wonder you feel confident. No wonder you feel as though you have nothing to worry about. Your plan was perfect, and you executed it perfectly. But there was one unforeseeable, Stefania's courage and tenacity. It was she who eventually gave me the answer, and who showed me the rope. It's gonna hang you. Are you guys like me and have 8,000 USB cables that just connect everything to everything laying around your house? <laughs> Pretty much at this point, yeah. I mean, they're Fine. not really universal because only one end is universal. And the yeah, other end is that? different for each thing. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I don't play that. I, 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 that, just, that, that trips me out, so I just... 
if something has a fucked up USB side, I just won't get it. Like, I need to make <laughs> sure everything I get is compatible. But, like, honestly, right now, my whole... My dining room table is my desk. And right. it's full of cords. Yeah. And it's getting to the point where, like, I... I actually want to minimize. I want to get a little tiny, tiny desk that I can't put a lot of shit on. That'd be wise. I had. And you could um, just make a big ball of cord. But then I look like big guy at a little desk, like fucking Tommy Boy <laughs> movie or something. <laughs> big guy at a little desk. Guy in a little coat. All right, so why are we not recording this this gold? It, it is recording. What should I do with it? Should I put it at the oh. end of the show? <laughs> should I tack yeah. the shit on at the end? Yeah, the uh, the deleted scenes or whatever. You got it. Maybe on well, the next episode being twenty five, we can just do the best of that yeah, show. Like show. Like Thirty seconds long. Do a clip show. <laughs> clip show. Remember when we talked about this? Yeah. Well, let me just let you guys know that I watched. I've been watching Alias just because everyone talked about it forever, and I never watched it. Oh yeah, like ten years ago. Yeah. yeah watched the first season. By episode, there was twenty-four episodes in the first season. Episode twelve, clip show. <laughs> I was like, you got to be fucking. Ki-. I was so mad, dude. I was yeah. so mad. They're like th- these are all the things that have happened on this super confusing fucking show, and I'm like, dude, I'm binge watching this. I don't need a clip show. Right. Oh, so mad. But binge watching didn't wasn't really a thing when that show was on. Was I don't it? care because you want to know what else. Sorry. People making movies didn't think people would have it at their home and be able to watch it over and over again and see that the coffee true. cup on the side of the table that wasn't there two seconds ago. That's true. <laughs> Well, I think right. I think two, two things are evident now. One is that they don't do clip shows anymore because people really do binge watch. But the one thing that they do 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 with some of these reality shows. I don't know how many reality shows you guys watch, but like if you take a show like um, Hot Wives, Biggest Loser, Biggest Biggest Loser, or whatever, so they will actually recap the the last thirty seconds of the show before they went to commercial when they come back from commercial. As if you didn't even remember what you saw two minutes ago. They do that so, with wrestling. Yeah, that, that, I was gonna say that. <laughs> that that's why Michael come on, you watch has a Monday job. Night Raw. That, that makes sense. <laughs> you got to make a three-hour show three hours somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. So, how, so how you basically, have a three-hour show with six matches? I have no idea. So so basically, it's the same demographic for wrestling as is the Housewives of New Jersey. Yeah, because the Housewives from New Jersey or Atlanta. Come on, Raw is like a guest host. That's right. And who's your, who's, your, who's your favorite guy, Eric, that you keep talking about? Todd Crisley? <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Hasn't Honey Boo Boo been on Monday Night Raw? I think so. Uh, she just got canceled. Oh, no. Like her... What are they going to do now? Wasn't her man beating honey, one of the kids or something? Honey Boo Boo too. Yeah. Honey got a boo boo. Yeah. Oh, too soon. Sorry. 
Didn't mean to Josh Matthews that right there. Actually, not soon enough. Yeah. Anyway. All right. 